This is the Faith Ventures Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, telling stories of Christians doing business for the glory of God. If you appreciate this program, support the nonprofit work of LCI by donating at libertarianchristians.com slash donate. And if you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. Welcome back to Faith Ventures. My name is Dr. Norman Horn, and I am here today joined by my dear friend, Pat Dixon. Pat and I have known each other for going on about 18 years now from when I was a wee lad at the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, Pat has been an engineer for the bulk of his career. He's been involved in so many different things uh, in the pursuit of both market opportunities and uh, promoting liberty as well in, in, a, in, a, in our culture around us. So Pat, Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Well, Norm, it's always great to see you again. Uh, <laughs> we're both aging well. <laughs> we, we, try, we try. We try. <laughs> yeah, I think I think uh, that uh, both of us had a lot more hair 18 yeah. years ago. But uh, you know, but frankly, you've done... I, I don't like hair. Uh, hair is a <laughs> nuisance for me, so I'm glad not to have too much of it. Well, it, uh, it certainly gets a little easier to manage uh, down the line without it. But, you know, uh, I'll just I'll just blame my kids. I don't know what your excuse is, but <laughs> uh, I'm just an old man, just an old man. Actually, when well, I, uh, when I uh, was in Phoenix, Arizona, and I got my first job and I saw how hot it is in Phoenix, this is the haircut I went with for 10 years. Amazing. <laughs> well, I was, uh, I would say that's a while ago, but that would, that would date it both was of us. A while ago. <laughs> well, Pat, I'm so glad that we were able to, to do this again. You know, we've known each other for a long time and we've always had, uh, you know, a shared appreciation, uh, of each other because of our, because of our shared faith. And, uh, I'm, I'm so, I'm just so proud to have known you and you've been a great mentor to me over the years. So I'm so just really, really grateful to you, first of all. So I just want to make sure that my all of our listeners know just how cool and awesome my man Pat Dixon is. So well, you're the what you've accomplished is just tremendous. Uh, the way you've built the uh, your the causes that you support, what you're doing right here, it's I'm very impressed. Well, thank you. Um, I know I always knew he had it in you. <laughs> people don't know how far back this goes but we we could talk for probably well i could talk for hours to pat on about any multitude of things so but i'm excited here to talk about your career and uh you know maybe learn some new things about you a little bit um because i you've had a, a variety of different experiences in industry uh and and have done just a bunch of different stuff so i think first off i want uh, our listeners to kind of hear a little bit about your story like how did you come up uh, and become, you know, choose to be an engineer. What and, and your your kind of career progression? What have you, you know, kind of overview that for us? What have you done? Where have you been? How did you get to be the Pat Dixon of today? All right, I'll try to make that somewhat concise. So when <laughs> I was a kid, my dad is an organic chemist. He's a PhD organic chemist. So when I was a kid, I liked to play around with chemistry, and I thought I'd be a chemist. So when I went to look at schools, universities to go to, I was looking at the chemistry programs. And nearly every department I went to, when I went to uh, talk to them, they said, do you want to be a PhD and work in this lab here, or do you actually want to make money? <laughs> and I said, well, I really like the chemistry, but I do want to make money. One of the schools I went to was Miami University. 
And Miami was a university in Oxford, Ohio, before Florida was a state. So that's the university I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, When I went there, they said, well, you like chemistry and you want to have a good career. We have an engineering program here on campus for the paper industry. Because Hmm. back when I was that age, there were paper mills in Mm -hmm. Southwest Ohio and it was an actual industry that you saw a lot of. So the, I said, okay, tell me more about it. And they said, we have the highest starting salary on campus, 100% job placement. And I said, I'm in. So I kind of went from scientist to engineer at that point. Okay. And from there on, my career was focused in a kind of engineering that's called control system engineering or industrial automation. And that's mm-hmm. what I've done my whole career in a number of different capacities. And about half my career has been associated with the paper industry. But as I've gone on, a lot of other industries, wastewater treatment and pharmaceutical and energy and other things, I haven't done automotive. But most of the industries where you use automation, I've done work. So you've been, a, you've been an engineer for the overwhelming majority of your career. Uh, yep. And I cer- certainly appreciate that being uh, kind of the scientist engineer myself, as you know, and you've experienced a bunch of different industries. You've come across a lot of different people. Do you find that, you know, you're, you're in a lot of customer relationships or are you just more uh, managing people in different ways that, that are kind of like, you know, either direct reports or even trying to work within, you know, teams most of the time? What, what does that kind of look like for you? Uh, I've kind of worn all the hats. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been in Fortune 500 companies, small companies, and doing my own thing. A lot of what I do now, actually, when I first started, it was a lot of customer uh, interaction because I'd be going to the facilities and delivering solutions for the customers. So that aspect of being able to convey information and work with other people Mm -hmm. is real important. but. I've had people that reported to me where I'd managed a team. Uh, I've kind of worn all the hats. Uh, Right now, the work I'm doing is uh, I have my own firm, DPAS, Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to grow that business. So when you're in that kind of role, you do wear all the hats. Like Steve Jobs, when he was in the garage with Steve Wozniak, (laughs) they wore all the hats. They were doing building everything, trying to sell it, trying to get funding. So given that, it's an interesting challenge, I think, for us Christians sometimes to understand really well how to act in those roles as Christians all the time. And I'm, I'm curious, what kind of challenges have you either, you know, observed in both as, you know, in, in your Fortune 500 roles and as an entrepreneur now uh, where, you know, it, like what kind of what kind of challenges where have you been able to uh, to kind of ascertain and then overcome even with your with your faith in that regard? Is it, what what uh, comes to mind to that? Yeah, a number of them. So, I have encountered situations where there un, are unethical people that are either clients or people I'm working with. Mm-hmm. Having a foundation, I think, is essential because without a foundation, you don't have an, any mooring. You mm-hmm. encounter these situations where how do you even know that what they're doing is unethical? And when it, if you do come to that conclusion, where do you go? Can you stand mm-hmm. your ground? 
and uh, I feel that I've remained, remained committed to a standard of ethics so that when I encounter these situations, I'm not going to cave. I'm, I'm, I lean toward the hard-ass approach <laughs> because if you are constantly compromising, then you're, you're going to lose your foundation. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give you one situation. There was a, a client I had, and it was a very challenging project. And during the course of the project, there was a time crunch, mostly because of the client. There were times when, in order to do what you want to do, you need to have electrical power. And if they have an outage, you can't do it. If I say, you have to provide a resource for this, and they don't provide it. So I was getting time crunched. And the pressure was being put on me in a way that was not appropriate. At the same time, I was identifying problems in their design, things that were safety related, that would protect their employees. Mm-hmm. And I would point out and I say, you guys need to fix this. And I would get no response. So at the conclusion of the project, I contacted the professional engineering board for guidance and I wrote them a letter and I said, guys, The project's over, you've paid me, but here are concerns you need to know about. And I understood that that might mean I don't get any more work with them, Mm -hmm. but that's the right thing to do. So that's one example. Well, I think that brings up something, you know, particularly interesting that I thought would be fun to talk about with you. And that's the, you know, something that may be a little less known to a lot of our listeners which is, you know, we actually have kind of a code of ethics within engineering itself. Mm-hmm. And I think it's particularly relevant um, in, in your field uh, where, you know, you're often interacting very, you know, very carefully uh, on projects of kind of an electrical nature, of a mechanical nature. It's a little less for me on, uh, at times in the kind of the chemical engineering world. We have a, a, some, some subsets, but a lot of what happens with us is kind of a, a, a different step removed. Um, especially in kind of my realm of to, to kind of the R and D stuff, but I think it would be really interesting, if you will, to kind of let's talk a little bit about engineering ethics and like so what. On the one hand, there's there's aspects like you've just described where you know there's safety issues and whatnot, but what other things might people not really expect as it pertains to when ethical considerations come up for engineers? What do those look like, and what are the, some of the most important considerations that folks might not necessarily expect? Right. So I'll have to segue that on Friday, I'm teaching a class at Miami University. I've done this for four years. And the last day, we deal with ethics. We present ethical Mm -hmm. dilemmas to students. So I'll just pick one of those. Love it. And this may seem innocuous, but it's an example. Imagine you've just been hired out of college and you're in the office. You have a manager you report to and you fill in timesheets. All right. Typically, the purpose of a timesheet is so the company can understand how much did this project really cost us? Did we make money on this Mm -hmm. project or do we have a lot of overhead? Where is the cost going? So you're filling in your timesheet and imagine you've been assigned to work on a project. I filled in eight hours every day I worked on this project. The manager comes to you a week later and says, you know what? the project budget's getting a little tight. 
can you take part of your hours and charge them to training? Because we'll assume we just hired you and you're learning on the job. So take some of those hours instead of the project, put them toward training. So is that, that's an, a bit of an ethical dilemma. And most students, I think, are not going to know what to do. They're not even mm-hmm. sure it's an ethical dilemma at all. Hey, I work for yeah. this person, do what they say. But they if you understand what's going on there, the manager might be trying to say, hey, I'm doing a great job. Look at how, look, how, how I'm saving money. But not the right way. Or it could be the right way. Is it really on the job training? So ethics is not always black and white. And I present these things to students because it's important just to think about it, just to understand there is an ethical standard. And when you encounter these situations, it's not always black and white. There's gray area and you have to think about it. Yeah. So I think that's that's really, I mean, it's really apropos for engineering. Uh, because you're constantly learning and and on the job <laughs> on the job learning is is a reality and, and it's it can be really awkward sometimes especially like you know in from my own experience at least uh doing research and development like if uh, how do you charge to project sometimes it's so confusing it's not- because yep. you know what if if we really knew what we were doing it wouldn't even be research, <laughs> as we like to yeah. say sometimes. Uh, so the, it's it's a it's a real challenge. Uh, so you know, it's, sometimes there are different models of thinking about it and whatnot. But it's really incumbent upon you know the the employee, well, the, the employer employee, all the relationships between you know your managers, your direct reports, to have this kind of understanding about what it is, the, what it is that you're trying to accomplish, and how are you reporting back, and what. You know, providing value because sometimes it's just sometimes it's just a matter of demonstrating value-based pricing and what mm-hmm. you know in order to make the proper charge. Uh, I think I that these are, another another example that yeah. I think is pretty common. If you're fresh out of school and you're on a project and they send you to the client site, so it could be mm-hmm. hundreds of miles away from your home and you're there, and the client says, "Hey." um, you're doing this work. Can you also do this? Can you also do this? <laughs> It'd be really nice if you can do this and do it this way. All mm-hmm. right. So instinctively, you want to please the client. That That's your mindset. I want to do a good job. I want them to say they yeah. like me. There's a problem there. What's called gold plating, which is yeah. you're, you're going beyond the scope. Your company sold something. And you're giving them way more. But if you're an unethical client, you're going to take advantage of a younger person. You're going to try mm-hmm. to milk them for all this stuff that you really didn't pay for. Yeah. So how do you handle that situation as a young engineer or anybody? It's not just engineering. It's anybody in a role where you're working with a client. It's it's a delicate situation. So there's... So there's like uh, some complex relationships I think uh, you know that we have to consider here. It was the 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 the, uh, the provider or the producer and the customer. There's the you know the manager and the direct report. There's I'm the direct report and how do I relate to my you know simultaneously to the person I'm reporting to and my client who I'm trying to please. Uh, all of that's all of that's can be very confusing at times. And so your point about you know having proper moorings. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and but then also like you know, there's the kind of bedrock foundational stuff that, that are 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 proper moral borings that we you know, kind of are primaries. But then there's also additional training, which is why we talk about things like engineering ethics and whatnot. And uh, and I think that they, these are things that are sometimes underappreciated. Um, what kind of message would you have for young Christians, perhaps in in this? You know, at their beginning. It, you're you're a teacher even in this regard. You're, I didn't know that about the about your teaching in Miami, uh, so that's that's great, of course, and uh, it just speaks to your you know, it's classic Pat. I should know this, uh, <laughs> but but you know what what sort of you know messages would you have for our, our especially our younger listeners who might be considering you know what it means to to join in into say the profession of engineering, the prof- and this sort of. As, as well as like even just thinking about the way in which we relate to our customers. And I'm, I'm being extremely vague here in order to let you just kind of wax eloquent. Uh, you know, but how, yeah, I, how would you kind of approach that? I think the bottom line is Christ is the role model. Mm-hmm. So he was not a compromiser. There, there was a foundation that would not be compromised away even though we're going to put you on the cross. You want to change your mind? No. So for somebody going into any profession, are you going to give away your principles because, hey, there's money, there's power, there's other things? Hey, uh, if Satan was in the Garden of Gethsemane and offered you the whole world, are you going to, boy, that's that's a good deal. I'm going to take it. Yeah. So that that foundation is because you have that role model. Mm-hmm. You you don't go in to any opportunity like, I know everything and I'm going to tell you what to do. You, if you're just graduated college, you don't know all that answers. Yeah. That you, don't much, you don't know much at all. <laughs> yeah. At least I Actually, <laughs> in, in a lot of cases, a lot of the university students remind me of what I've forgotten. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wow, I forgot that... Uh, yeah, I really should read up on that again. I forgot about it. But um mm. but that foundation is what you have to have and that role model that we have as Christians, that's why it matters. So so there's a, a an the proper like we lay a foundation. We say we're not we we commit to not compromising and we also express some humility in it too, uh is recognizing what we don't know. Right. So one of the things you don't know is how a business operates. And there may be ways Mm -hmm. a business operates that you kind of have to learn. And you may not know immediately whether that's ethical, moral. So you may go along with it for a while until you, hmm, that doesn't seem right. Mm -hmm. What do you do at that point? And that's where that foundation matters. That. Mm -hmm. Without that foundation, you're just going to go along with it forever, right? Awesome. Yeah. I'm getting my salary. Everything's fine. I'm paying my mortgage fine. That's, yeah. And then like just having the proper model to base to base yourself upon is, is just so crucial here. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, let's just lay it out. Like I've, I've, uh, I've observed this guy named Pat Dixon for some time when I was a young engineer and I, and I appreciated his example to me. Uh, back in back in the day, so I appreciate appreciate Pat for being a great example there. Um, Pat, I, I'm gonna I want to shift a little bit here since I, we we have some we have some time, and I think you're maybe one of the perfect people to kind of talk about this, which I think is um, 
it, it's going to be about engineering education as well. Since we're kind of we've hit on that a lot, and I wasn't necessarily thinking I would go this direction at first, but I think this is it's naturally leading to this on some level. This is a bit weird, but we're going to do it. Um, when it comes to like like college education in general, I think we've we've observed a lot in the last ten years, especially of a, a kind of a, a, call it a uh, a pseudo rebellion against the status quo. There's uh, aspects of people are uh, definitely seeing, uh, you know, the, the the pain points of trying to go into debt for college. You know, student loan debt is going crazy and whatnot. And there's also a, a tremendous amount of moves toward. We know you you don't really need to go to college for certain things. You know, like, so let's, if you even coding uh, is a, is a big deal, and people are taking alternative routes, like in, my wife included, for that matter, in uh, in educating themselves uh, that in a way that doesn't require the university system. And I think there's a lot of virtue in that. But one thing I feel that is is not been addressed real well, uh, and I think this is a good place to talk about it since in Faith Ventures we do talk about careers and, and looking at the calling of, of certain careers. And I think engineering in particular in sciences is one of those places where I think it's not entirely anticipated what that's going to, what this the effects of all of these alternative things are going to look like when it comes to some of these more complex, uh, different types of careers where the training is high. And so I'm curious from your perspective and what you're observing, you know, being a teacher, um, what you observed in younger engineers coming to you, perhaps for employment and, uh, and whatnot. What do you feel is kind of this sort of future of even the engineering professions in this regard? Are we going to be able to really survive in perhaps the post-university world, uh, which may be incoming. <laughs> what is this going to look like for us? Because for me, at least, I'll just say, you know, to kind of conclude the thought, you know, coming at, it, coming at it from, you know, earning a PhD in engineering for a very particular reason, because I wanted to do research and development and ultimately eventually become the kind of entrepreneur that can create hot, like complex, interesting scientific solutions, engineering-backed methods to improve the world. I don't know how I even could approach this without the level of training that I received over the course of nearly a decade. So mm-hmm. I'm curious, like, you know, based on your observations on this and the lengthy explanation that I just threw out there, what are you seeing in this regard and, and what would you recommend potentially for people to consider as they're coming up? Yep. Well, this is why the free market works. The free <laughs> market is about having choices and we have a whole lot of choices. Mm-hmm. So I, I will see this from this perspective. I'm on the uh, board of a university, Miami University, and we have annual meetings. So that's your traditional college. But that is not suitable for a lot of engineering careers. If you're developing software and you come out of high school and you just like to bang out code, man, go Ooh. for it. A four-year degree or five-year degree, I don't believe is really beneficial. And I think more uh, companies are realizing that if you have mm-hmm. the skill set, you want to bang code, go for it. Oh, yeah. There are cases where the traditional college is beneficial. Imagine your your idea is you're going to be an engineering manager and mm-hmm. you're going to be exposed not only to the tech but also interpersonal skills and other attributes of management. 
those colleges can help. But some mm-hmm. of the best engineers I've ever had don't come out of the four-year colleges, come out of the two-year colleges. They didn't get all the student debt. They got the training that was more specifically geared to work they're going to do. And man, they come in and they got it. Yeah. So the free market is the answer. Having those options, uh, today we have the abilities to learn in so many different ways that don't rely upon that expense of a four-year college. I think there are companies that are probably going to die because their HR departments are cavemen. They think (laughs) you have to have this degree and your resume needs to read this way. Google doesn't hire that way. There's mm-hmm. a book called Work Rules by uh, Laszlo. He was the director of HR for Google. Mm-hmm. You would think of any company that would just look at AI at a resume and screen out, they invest in looking at people. And uh, I had uh, one of the early adopters at Google, he said, one of the best hires I ever made was a philosophy major. Didn't know math, didn't know coding but at a sharp mind. Mm-hmm. And the way he found that is by meeting the person, not just looking at the resume, not looking at the credentials, making the investment to evaluate people. So uh, I think the advice for young people, most don't know what their career is going to be, right? Yeah. I think that's pretty important to realize, right? You're, yeah. You're going to pick a path in find the path. You don't necessarily know where that path is going to take you at the end, but you're going to find what you like. You're going to find mm-hmm. what your passion is. So take that approach. It's more of an immer- immersion where you're going to have choices you can make. Okay. Yeah, I think that that seems pretty pretty apropos uh, for for where where we seem to be going. Is that uh, yeah? There's going to be you'll have some idea of interest. Follow that path and see where it leads you. And and there are some there are some cases where you need probably to go to a four year school, um, but there are others. You, be be self aware on what you want and what you know you think what what you know your advisors say that you get, if you're going to take this route you probably need to consider these directions and so on. I think yep. that's that's pretty it's pretty appropriate. Like I don't think I could I could not have I could not have done what I'm doing now. Uh, without the types of training that I received, oh, and, right? You know, yeah, you know, uh, doing what I've done both at the university level and then also just post university level. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's but that's you know I'm the I am the accumulation of those experiences, those skills, and that knowledge, that you know perspective. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully that means that I'll create something uh, pretty cool here coming up. Um, mm-hmm. Got interesting ideas. I should tell you about that sometime. So, um, so that analogy about college, I think it extends to the grade school. Uh, yeah. There's a, one of the best TED talks I think ever, Sir Ken Robinson. And mm-hmm. if you haven't heard it, you ought to really see it. It's really funny, but he talks about this young girl who was having trouble in school. So the principal asked the mother in the student to come to his office And before they went in the office, he asked the child to stay out in the lobby and just have a talk with the mother. And the principal turned on the radio in the lobby to some music. 
closed the door and the mother said, so what's the issue with my daughter? He said, look at her. She's dancing because there's music on the radio. She's a dancer. That's how she Mm. understands things. And she's in a system that is constrained to teach children as if they're just machines. And this girl ended up becoming one of the greatest ballet artists ever. Mm. So I think the analogy is kids learn differently in, in a free market approach. Kids are going to be exposed to what their passion is. For some of us, it doesn't happen until college, but it can happen early. Yeah, that's that really, I I think that's a great, you know, kind of message on some level to our parent, the parents who are listening here is that as you're, as you're training your children, don't assume that, you know, the, uh, the traditional, as we might say, way of going through K through 12 is just the only way. Uh, There's so many other interesting ways to educate out there. I'm certainly, you know, one, one, I'm a big advocate of self-directed learning now. Uh, I think that's a great thing. And, uh, and so many, so many interesting sort of aspects uh, of taking alternative education models and making that part of your life uh, is, is really important. So, Pat, as we kind of wrap up here, I want to kind of give you a, the open floor. Is there any other messages that you want to make sure, you know, based on your experiences, that what you love, your passions, uh, that you would want to express to our listeners, both young and old today, before we close out? Yeah, I think... Uh the things that you and I have in common, it's having that role model. We have the same role model. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a commitment. One of those principles is the principle of liberty. That's mm-hmm. I've been a leader in the Libertarian Party. Uh, what you've done is advocate liberty through your message. And we also have this kind of techie geek thing in common but if you put all those things together in the techie geek thing it it can extend to any competency whether it's management Mm -hmm. or anything else when i was a young engineer uh i resisted management because i thought management was stupid (laughs) if you have scientists and engineers what else do you need these people just get in the way when i got more into industry i found there were people who needed management Yeah. So, um, but those three things, when you put them together, that's kind of the, the baseline, the foundation that you build upon. And, um, a lot of what I do has nothing to do with tech has nothing to do with, uh, principles of Liberty, but it's always there. It's always part of that foundation. So whether I'm trying, I'm meeting with somebody trying to get them to, to buy what I'm selling, there's still that foundation. So, uh, awesome. Yep. So we, we have a model, we stick to Liberty and we stay open to becoming better leaders and then understanding how to be how to how to lead other people through management. So, yep. Hey, so that's, that's so, so great. And there's so many wonderful things to tease out of this, of this talk. And I hope that, you know, if you, if you found inspiration through this, uh, dear listener, then, uh, take a, take a listen to our other episodes and re-listen to this one. This is, this is gonna, this has some stuff to unpack. I think that, uh, this, this has been really fun. So thank you, Pat, for your time and efforts here, uh, and for what you've meant to me over the last 20 years. Um, thank you so much for your support and your, your leadership in, uh, in everything here. So thanks for, and thanks for joining me here once again. Okay. Well, if you ever come back, we're off to get some barbecue. <laughs> if I ever we, come we're going to we'll get some, whatever you have there. 
<laughs> Sounds wonderful, sir. All right. Well, uh, all right. So that, that has been our Faith Adventures episode for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next time. <laughs>